it gave me something to hold on to, right? My faith has gotten me through a lot of things. And uh, to be able to hold on to that, to know that throughout everything that I've ever experienced, the one thing that's always been consistent, God has never left my side. Even when I was beaten down and he just never left me. So I learned how to trust wholeheartedly, right? I learned how to um, forgive not only others, but, you know, most importantly, myself. I learned to have gratitude, you know, because when you lose so many things, you know, throughout your life, when you get to, when you do get some things and stuff like that, you have a sense of gratitude and appreciation for it, right? You don't take it for granted. Welcome to the podcast, Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. I am your host, Jenny Diltz, and I help people convert their grief into growth in their own way and in their own time. This is a podcast where we dive deeply into the stories that make us who we are and show us who we can become. Together, we share real-life experiences of growth through our grief. I can be found at grievingcoach.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss exclusive interviews and some of my own tidbits and insights on grief. Welcome, everyone. Today, I have amazing Tony Lynch, and he is the founder of the nonprofit Memories of Us LTD, um, Grief Support for Men. He's also the founder of Global Grief Network and the host of Grief Let's Talk About It podcast. He started Memories of Us in 2019 after experiencing some significant losses, his son in 2016 and his mother in 2018. Leaving him with almost no family and no one to help navigate this experience, his grief became heavy and conflicting. On one hand, he was taught to suppress, not express, and on the other, his heart was torn into a million pieces. Eventually, with his choices, he was making, he eventually lost everything and planned out his suicide. He did eventually seek help only to find that there's there was little or no support for men, and he realized the importance of having a place where men can express their feelings, talk openly, but most importantly, be supported by other men who have had similar experiences. As we all know, grief is a lonely, personal walk, and just because it's personal, he feels it's a reason not to do it alone. Tony, thank you so much for jumping on with me and um sharing your story with us yeah of course thank you for having me on jenny it's a pleasure thank you um so everyone you are in for a treat because tony has a million stories to tell all based on personal experience and i was just telling him before we started recording that i wish i would have recorded pre-conversation because it was so rich and so amazing and i didn't know half of this stuff um, every time I talk with him, I learn something else about him and more insights and other ways that he's experienced and navigated grief and loss and how he uses that to help others. So your story is like amazing. You've had so many experiences in, in every category of grief and loss imaginable. And trauma as well. Yes, a lot of trauma. Um, so I'm just going to bullet some of the ones that I know, and then we'll we'll hone in on 
a couple of them or one area or or something like that okay um so when the when you were when you were younger there was the fire when at what age was that that was six okay so at six years old he watched a building burn down yeah and, and there was, were um, um a couple of kids when i was six years old there um, some twins lived across the yard from me and i remember sitting down by the fence and i looked over and um you see, I saw the mother walk walk out, coming out to see some of her friends in the yard. And um, shortly after, you know, you can hear, well, you can see her sons in the window playing and yelling and things like that, because that's what kids do, right? Yeah. And um, the kids looked as if they were sucked back in, and this big old ball of fire comes out the top window. And so now you can hear the kids in there screaming and everything and i just remember the mom turning around screaming running to the door and it's as if someone pushed her back and uh the door closed she flew back and um these kids burned alive and no till this day no one knows why it happened but it was the only apartment that that had happened in so yeah, I, I watched them and we used to go to school together. We used to ride bikes and skateboards and all of those things, you know, when we were kids together. So that was that was the first time I've ever experienced um or ever seen someone pass away like that. Uh, yeah. So that was your first experience with with death. Yeah, that was my first experience, but it was something about it like it didn't bother me. You know, it just I just kind of looked. It was I don't know. Uh, it sucked watching them pass because, you know, those screams and everything, you're just never getting, it, it just never comes out, it gets out of your head, right? You know, uh -huh. um, and then the way that it happens, you just never forget things like that. Yeah. That was only the beginning for you, yeah? Yeah, that was the beginning. Um, two weeks later, I was molested by my neighbor. My son's friend, I mean, my mom's um, friend's son, you know, because my mom, she used to work and she was going to college and everything. And uh, we were still young, me and my little sister. My sister was four at the time. And uh, so my mom used to go, hey, go over to such and such house. I don't want to say her name um, mm -hmm. for privacy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, go over, go over to such and such house, you know, and I'm, I'll, when I get home, you know, I'll come and get you. Well, and went over there and um, her son, being a kid that I was, um, still innocent, not really into a whole lot of bad things. You know, I mean, I got into my fair share of mischief, but I love playing with He-Man toys and all of those things. And he's come down, hey, come on, you know, I got toys upstairs if you want to, you know, if you want to come up here and play and everything. And sure enough, um, I, that day I went up there, he uh, kind of pinned me down and um, he, he molested me. And then afterwards, you know, it was like, don't you say anything and this, that, another. And then the second day, you know, because when that happened, I tried to tell my mom, you know, and my uncles and everything. And no one really believed me. 
you know, or the men don't do that to your boys and stuff like that. And, you know, just watch out for your sister. And so I'm, it's like, okay, no one's really believing me. So then the second day it happened again, you know, and I'm just like, I'm telling my mom, I don't want to go back over there. Like, this is what he's done. Oh boy, shut up. You know, that doesn't happen to little boys. So no one really believed me. So I started thinking to myself now, like, okay, since no one's believing me, that means I can, I, I, I got to protect myself. And I told myself after that, after that happened the second time, no one's ever going to hurt me ever again. And so the third day, I had took a little knife with me over there. And sure enough, go back upstairs and he's going to try it again. So I took that knife and I stuck it in the stomach. And I told him, I said, go ahead, scream. Because since no one's believing me, if you scream, you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. And I told him, I said, you'll never touch me ever again. You'll never touch me. You won't ever touch my sister. You none of that. As a matter of fact, you if you if you even if you look my way, I'm I'm, I'm gonna remind you that you don't do this. And uh after that, I never went back over there again. But he had to, he had to stitch himself up because he didn't want it to get out. That that's what he did. And he never touched me after that, but I was already messed up. You know, now that I know no one's ever going to believe me, no one's no one's here to protect me. I have to protect me and my sister. So I became that big brother, you know, at the age of six years old. Um, yeah, so, you know, after that, you know, I kind of kept my mouth shut. It kind of became real quiet. I used to love to draw all the time, you know, and I was really good at it. But no one ever paid attention to my drawings. I used to always draw things, you know, um, from what I've seen. Yeah. And uh, people just thought I was just very creative, very artistic. And um, so I just let them, I just let it be that way. So for, you know, after that, it was, I became that, that A honor roll student, you know, how I kept good grades in school, you know. Um, I had very little friends because after that, you realize, you know, I learned at an early age that people are capable of doing really bad things to other people, uh -huh. you know, and uh, I kept that to myself for a very long time, for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. So then as you were, you got older, you started getting into the gangs. Yeah. Um, age of 13. Um, age of 13, I became affiliated, right? You know, because I was around people in the neighborhood that I knew. And this is what they were into, right? Now, my mother, on the other hand, she was like, you're not joining a gang. This, that, another. Now, as a boy, as a young man, I don't have other men around me that are role models, except for these people out here on the streets. So I'm hanging with them. And, uh, you know, I got into selling drugs and uh, I was never really put on the hood at an early age because those guys was like, we're not dealing with your mom. I was like, I understand, but I'm still going to hang out. I'm still going to rep and this, that, and other, you know, so it was like I started living a double life. And it was something about the lifestyle. It wasn't it wasn't um, that I was looking for a family. I was attracted to the lifestyle, you know, uh, the, just the 
drug dealing, the violence, all of that stuff, right? I was attracted to it. And that's only because that there was a part of me that was starting to come out and I didn't understand it, but this was my outlet, you know, when it came down to fighting and, and things like that. It was like, I can fight all the time. Yeah. What? Now I can be out here selling drugs and, you know, like, and making money because we grew up poor, right? And um, my mom never, she never caught on for it. Well, she didn't catch on for a couple of years. She really didn't. And uh, so I think the reality came to her one day. I was, uh, I had four cars out in front of the house. My mom never knew that those cars were mine because she never saw me driving them. I was, <laughs> I wasn't even 16 years old, right? And, uh, that night, it was just real quiet. And I was just like, whoa, this is unbelievably quiet. There's nobody out here. What is, what is going on? And so my first instinct was get everything out of the cars and take it in the house. So I did. I put it in the first duffel bag. My mom just kind of looked at me because I walked past and I go upstairs. And then I go back, I go back outside. I grab two more duffel bags and I go upstairs, right? And the third one, my mom's like, hey, what's in those bags? I was like, mom, I'll tell you later. You know, she was like, no, you're going to tell me now. And so I take her upstairs. I got two bags full of guns. I got one bag full of money. I got one bag full of full of cocaine. And my mom's just like, huh? I was like, yeah, I've been involved with the Jamaicans and Haitians and things like that, you know, and uh, I just knew I wanted to make a lot of money. I did. I knew I wanted to make a lot of money, but I wanted to make sure that I had guns to protect myself. These are the rules of the streets that I had to learn. Yeah. And um, I took him up there and my mom finally, she was like, hold on, you know, then she noticed the blue flag hanging out of my pocket. You know, well, it wasn't really hanging. I had to fold it up because my mom's rule was outside, you know, you can be a kid to do whatever. But when you come to my house, you're going to have to respect my house. Right. You know, so leave all of that stuff outside. And so I did. I left all that stuff outside. You know, I came in and when she finally saw it, she started putting two and two together. She was like, are you involved in this? I was like, I'm just hanging out with her mom. She was like, yeah, but this is kind of different. You know what I'm saying? Like you can put in all of this stuff in my home. You got this flag hanging out of your pocket, you know, like what's going on? So I sat down and I told her, this is, this is what I'm doing. And she was like, I would never guess it because I was still a straight A student. And um, before, uh, after, well, actually, after that is when I got in, I, I was involved in my first uh, drive by. And, um, and we talked about this before, you know, I was sitting out on the porch, you know, still young, not uh, just barely turning 15. And um, the first time I ever, seeing somebody get shot, you know, uh, up close and personal, you know, me and my buddy was hanging out, sitting on a, sitting on the porch, selling drugs, drinking a little bit, you know, just being who we were. And uh, you tend to notice things around your neighborhood, you know, different cars, different things like that. And you kind of know who, who don't belong there. And these cars didn't belong there. These people didn't belong there. Yeah. And I uh, just remember I had a 40 ounce and I just taken a drink of it and I went to go hand it over. My, I was looking one way and I heard the shot. And when I turned around, my friends, his, his whole side of his face hit me in my face. And then I realized that his, he just got shot in the head. And so from there, it was like, 
you know, you have to get into survival mode. And mm -hmm. so I watched my friend pass away. And that day I watched three kids pass away. And then uh, after that, it was, you know, all hell broke loose. All hell had broken loose. And something happens to you, you know. And what seems like an eternity was just a matter of seconds. It, it was, but it seems like everything is moving in slow motion. You know, it seems like hours went past, and this is all you. This, this is what's going on. Everything is, is chaotic. You know, and when the smoke is, when the smoke settled, you you see all the damage that's been done. Friends that's laying out in the street, kids, and all of these different things. Houses with bullet holes in them. And, uh, you know, for those who were still upright and moving around, you know, we were just like walking around, just like, man, this just happened. Yeah. So in the back of our minds were, it's time to go to war. It's time to go to war. And so we did. And um, when I was 15, I left home. I was, I knew I needed to change. Right. And I thought leaving home would do that. So at the age of 15, um, I got myself in a bit of trouble. <laughs> I got myself in a bit of trouble, right? Um, at school and uh end up shooting a guy, end up shooting a guy three times, him and his friend. And then I tried to shoot the teacher because she saw what was going on. But the mm -hmm. whole incident unfolded from the day prior, you know. I was sitting out on the bench. Minding my own business, having some lunch. These guys come walking over. You know, I noticed that they ran all red. And I'm just looking at them like, this is not going to be good, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking that they're coming over to fight. No, they was just coming over to talk trash. And when they were about ready to leave before the school bell had rung, one of the guys told me, he was like, I'll be out here tomorrow. If I see you, I'm killing you, right? It's like, all right, whatever. So the next day, I brought a gun to school. And that kid and his buddies came back over there and they were still talking smack. And at that time, I just didn't want to talk anymore. And I remember telling the dude when they were walking off, I said, didn't you guys say that you was going to kill me when y'all saw Yeah, whatever. I said, okay, that's what I thought. And I shot the kid three times and his buddy was running. I shot him. His other buddy was, took off and I look over, you know, because I jumped off the bench and I had very devious intentions very devious intentions and i look over and i see the teacher and she screams and i take off after the teacher she runs into the school building locks the door and i just sit on the bench i, well, I sat on the front steps it's like <laughs> i'm in trouble <laughs> i'm in a whole lot of trouble but then it was like whatever i don't even care you know uh grandma mom aunties come down there please show up um it was a mess it was a huge mess. Yeah. And then uh got expelled. Yeah, definitely got expelled. And then he sent me back to school to a different school and I dropped out. So my mom, uh my uncles, my uncles told me, he was like, Well, you know, you're not in school, you might as go might as well go into military. I was like, I'm not doing that, you know. But I would go down there. They were like, Oh, you're doing something. You can't run around here on the streets and things like that. Um, so I went and took the ASVAB. I actually took every last one of the ASVAB and I tested very high. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were, they wanted me. They were like, oh yeah, we're going to get him in boot camp. We're going to turn his life around and, you know, we're going to do this, that, another. Well, when I'm, <laughs> the day I was supposed to go to boot camp, there was a bus going to Job Corps and they ended up jumping on the bus going to Job Corps. <laughs> so I left at the age of 15, you know, and went to Washington, D.C., uh, Potomac Job Corps. And I can tell you, it was the best time of my life. You know, I was, I didn't have to worry about anything. I didn't have to worry about nothing. And uh, I got into playing football. I got into weightlifting. I was teaching martial arts. I was taking Kung Fu, boxing, uh, all of that good stuff, you know, and no worries in the world. You know, I was, I didn't, I didn't have nothing to worry about. And it was a lot of fun. Best time of my life, man. And uh, I met my, my my oldest daughter's mom there and there's she got pregnant when we were there and um 1992 i was leaving or i was finishing up on job corps got my ged and all that good stuff and uh so she was coming out um a little bit behind me so you know she came we went back to virginia where she had tatiana and then uh, after after that, we left Virginia, moved out to Colorado in 1992. I, I guess that's where you can say where um, the second part of that journey began. And it just got really interesting. Just really, really interesting. You know, um, I didn't think nothing else about the gangs or anything like that. You know, my, my main focus was I'm a father now. Uh-huh. And I'm going to take care of my daughter, right? And um, that didn't happen like that. It really didn't. Six months after we got here, um, we was walking home, and uh, this group of guys was playing playing basketball. And I walked. We was walking past them. One of the guys looked at me. It was like, "Hey, what's up?" This, that, another. You know, start throwing up gang signs. And I'm with my family. I'm not paying no attention to him. Well, he wouldn't let it go. And uh, at this time, Tatiana was six months old. He comes over there. He gets in my face. I'm trying to trying to let him know. Look, man, leave me alone. You don't want none of this. Just leave me alone. He didn't want to leave me alone. So, end up beating him almost beat him to death. Like that thing came back, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that thing came back and I I beat this dude half to death. And his boys run up, try to run up on me, so take off my jacket and everything. And now they can see all my tattoos. It was like, oh, whoa, you one of us. And this, that, that, I was like, I don't care. I don't know who you are, right? And so a couple minutes go past. We talk. I let the dude up. They're going about that way. And I looked at, my daughter's mom at the time and to look in her face she she was terrified of who i was yeah and um so i knew what i had to do because i realized that that moment had had started something and it wasn't going to let me go like i knew instinctively that it's only going to get worse from here Mm -hmm. so you know, um, I did the right thing or what I thought was the right thing. I told her, I said, you know, I can't stop what's about to happen. So what I need you to do 
I need you to take her, take our daughter, and get far as away from me as you possibly can. And so she did at the age of six months. She took Tatiana and she took off. And that was the last time I saw her. And she is now 30 until about four, three or four years ago, right before COVID. Uh, she's beautiful, you know, beautiful young lady. But I knew that I wasn't going to be able to survive and raise, the, raise her. Yeah. For some odd reason, I just knew. So I did what I felt was right. And um, I was right. <laughs> I was I was right. Um, that journey, um, I got deep into the gangs after that. Um, just just a whole lot of stuff that went along with it, you know. People that I knew, people I was encountering, and things like that, and uh, the people that I was surrounding, uh, surrounded by. They were just different people, but it didn't bother me. It really didn't bother me because I was different too. Mm. You know, the gangs would do do something to you like that. And over the course of years, I watched a lot of people die. Um, prison, being shot, being stabbed. You know, and I tell people this life is not, it's not what you think it is, right? What you see is an illusion. The things that go on behind the scenes that you don't see, the, the continuous fights, the, you know, um, the people that you're going to watch get killed, you know, the countless funerals that you're going to go through, the, you got to watch yourself from the police. All of these different things are going to play a factor in this life. You and I tell them, you're not going to ever be able to get another night's sleep as long as you're as long as you're doing this, because you never know. It may be somebody like me to come kick in your door, because if you got a stable place, I know that that's where you're going to be. You just became a prime target for me, especially if we don't get along. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm coming to get you, you know. So you learn. Home is where you make it, right? And uh, there's going to be times where you're going to be out on the streets. So I was homeless, you know, living in other hotels and, and things like that, you know, um, abiding by the rules for the most part, you know, mm -hmm. because you got to survive. Yeah. By any means that you, by any means that's necessary. And it's going to come with consequences. It's going to come with um, a lot of mental damage, a lot of emotional damage, because emotions, like I said before, emotions will get you killed, right? You know, you can't have a girlfriend because that'll get you killed too, because there's people out there that will come. If they can't find you, they're going to come out to the people that you love. So you learn how to disassociate yourself from family and you know um you know you learn not to have girlfriends and and things like that because it's just not worth it it's just not worth it and then you develop certain issues trust issues commitment issues and things like that because everybody and any and everybody can get you 
And a lot of times the women that those dudes was messing with was setting them up to get killed, you know, or setting them up to get robbed. You know, you got to be willing to go to a really dark, messed up place in order to survive a life like that. And um, it may not survive. Yeah. It just may not. And you've mentioned that even your friends betrayed you and tried to have you killed. Yeah. Um, what, <laughs> it was funny because these people, you know, these these guys that I considered my friends, we had been through a, 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 some crazy stuff together, right? You know, so these are people that you think that you can trust. And uh, it wasn't like that, you know. Well, it was like that for a little while. Um, but I made my fair share of enemies. And one night, New Year's, New Year's, we were we was over partying out um, out in a different part of town, and I had been drinking, drinking a lot too. And this feeling came across me, and something said, "Leave." Now I'm in a basement, you know, we're in a basement part, and we got got some friends over here gambling, drinking, smoking, doing whatever they're doing, and. Um, I don't know. I just flipped out and I left. I walked out the back door and walked around. And at the time, um, I broke one of my own rules. I was engaged uh, to this girl. And um, so I'm walking and she comes up, she picks me up, we take off. And I found out two days later that some bloods or some rivals, let's just put it that way, some rivals had came to the house and they had walked past my buddies the dudes that I, that were, that I was there with, and my buddies let them come downstairs. They came downstairs to come specifically to kill me. And I had found out that my buddies, my so-called buddies, was in on it. Wow. They were in on it. So you're talking about after that, it's like, you can't trust anyone. Uh-huh. Not even the people that you think that you know that that are closest to you out here in, in this in this thing, you can't trust anyone because that's just the way that it is. Just the way that it was, you know. The people that you trust the most will be the ones that take your life. So you learn how to you learn how to you learn how to move, mm -hmm. right? You learn how to move through life. And um, so I really doubled down on you know, not being in one place for too long. So it forced me to move around and do what I had to do, you know, in order to survive. And on top of that, you got the police looking at you. You got rivals looking at you from everywhere. I mean, nothing's guaranteed, you know. And during that process, you, I lost a lot of people. Lost a lot of people. People that I thought was cool. Um, but... In a sense, it didn't bother me. I just knew that this is just the way that it is, just the way that it is. And then I, then I got busted, and I ended up going to prison. Well, they started off uh, busting me for jaywalking, right? <laughs> I go, I go do a week in jail, in city jail or whatever, right? Get out, and so now they now I got this record that's starting to develop, and uh, so they kept. They kept trying to catch me, but couldn't. But they can get me on little stuff, you know, misdemeanors, littering, stuff like that. That's mm -hmm. how the cops were. And then uh, one day, they caught me drunk one night, and I was going. I was walking, walking back to a hotel that I was staying at, and didn't have anything on me. I just had a lot of money on me, 
I had probably $25,000 on me. The cops pulled up on me. I wasn't too worried. They beat me up a little bit. It took me to jail. I woke up in jail the next day over, over this major hangover. And they had charged me with possession of um, of a controlled substance. Yeah. First time I've ever first time I've ever had a felony and they sentenced me to five years. Wow. Five years in prison. Um so I'm thinking to myself, okay, five years, I'll probably do two, two and some change, get out. Now nah, I end up doing all five. During that time, I got bounced around from six facilities with different charges that I never, I got charged with inciting riots. I got charged with bulldogging, uh, fighting and all kinds of stuff, man. And they just, they pretty much stretched me out. And so I ended up spending the last, um, the last two years of that five year sentence in solitary confinement. Yeah. And none of it was, none of uh, it they was. Convicted me, they convicted me on it, on the words of the cops. See, back then you got to remember you're a game banger. Um, no one's going to take your word for it, right? No one, no one's going to believe you. It's your, it's your word against the cops. Who do you think they're going to believe? Yeah. And so they convicted me. They convicted me and gave me five years. And um, I got out and um, called myself trying to get back. You know, I have to, I have to survive. So you know, I had to cover my bases. You know. Uh, I got to survive. I got to figure out how to make money. I got to get a gun for protection, you know, and I'll figure out the rest of it throughout the process. And uh, I did. I figured out the rest of it and uh, I had to make some choices. I had to make some bad choices, some choices that people may not agree with, but that's okay. They don't have to agree with them, um, but, it, but I had to do it, you know. Well, I guess I didn't have to, but I did. And um, that just led into more more chaos man more and more chaos and so then you realize after those over, over that period of five years things have changed there's a lot of people that's not around anymore right so a lot of your friends are gone not just moved away but they're dead and you realize that now you're truly by yourself what are you going to do so you have to double down on your mentality. Keep your mouth shut. Keep moving, right? Do whatever you have to do to survive. Uh -huh. So I did. I sure did. I doubled down on it, and I became I became something different. Like that thing came back, right? And I knew what I had to do. And uh, it's been many times, you know, um, many times I wanted it. I wanted it to be over. You know, it's like this nightmare that never ended. Yeah. I just wanted it to be over. I even tried to take my life. I did, you know, um, didn't work out too well, but I did a lot of damage to a lot of people, you know, um, couldn't really have a girlfriend or anything like that. So talking to someone was out of the question. You know, you don't talk to nobody because they may look at you funny. Right. Um, and you never know who's listening. And so it was that journey afterwards that just and just became very, very chaotic, right? Mm -hmm. You know, survival of the fittest, that's what they call it, you know? But there's also that old saying, you live by the sword, you die by the sword, right? So you learn, you know, 
I, I never knew what it was like to be in a home for a very long time. I really didn't. You know, I know what it's like to go to a hotel room, but I just have to get hotel rooms across across town that people that I knew people couldn't find me. And even then, I was still up to no good selling drugs, um, things like that. But that's where I would go and rest. And then I would come back mm. to the hood. It was something about the hood, you know, that just wouldn't let me go. And then uh one day, um, I had, well, not one day, I had uh, had my youngest daughter, right, uh, shortly after that. And her mother, her mother and I, we was destructive. <laughs> it was so dark on destructive. She, she was, she was, she was the one that, you know, that, uh, that I could trust. But even then, you couldn't really trust her because she would get you too, right? I know, because we was always together. And uh, she had left, uh, and I was raising my daughter, had her for two years. And then one day, uh, I was taking my daughter to the daycare. I called myself trying to go legit, got myself a job, you know, and everything. And on the way to daycare, um, Karma came back. Karma came back and got me. And I was shot. I was shot when I had her, uh, when I was taking her to the daycare 22 times. Yeah. And um, she didn't get hit, thank God. But yeah. it was a sense of reality that set in that I could not have people around me. Because this is this is what's going to happen, but also um, something else happened too. Because after that happened, you know, it was like so I'm going to I got to go finish this, right? So for weeks, went to war. I mean, war. It was bad. It was it was real bad. It was fighting and gun gun shootouts all the freaking time, and then uh. When the dust settled, you know, there was a sort of like a truce called. It's like, all right, you guys are done. I'm done. Um, and I, after that, I was like, I'm done with this, man. You know, I'm, I'm so done with this. I don't want to do this no more. Yeah. There ain't nothing that I have not done or have not experienced. And I just don't know what to do. And I just remember going to um, some of the higher ups, what we call OGs. I told him, I said, man, I'm done. I don't want to do this no more. They threatened me. They said, well, you know, there's only one way out of this. I said, okay, well, here's my gun. Take it. And they looked. They was like, you serious? I was like, yeah. I was like, so if you're going to do it, you might want to do it right the first time. Because if I live, I'm coming back. And you're not going to like what I bring with me. You're not going to like it. And uh, so they were. They came up with some rules. You never come back to the hood. You can never have that um, protection, or you know, you can't have the homies around you. And if the if you get caught by by your so called rivals, you're on your own. And I said okay. And uh, 
I became homeless. The worst ever I've ever been homeless. And for two years, I lived on the streets. I didn't sell drugs. I didn't rob anyone. I didn't do none of that. I took it. And uh, sleeping behind dumpsters and eating out of trash cans. And uh, I never begged for change, though. You know, sometimes I get lucky and see see a $5 bill flood, you know, blowing down the street or something. I get up and I can go eat McDonald's for the day. But there's been times where, you know, I went three, four days without eating, you know, um, and wearing the same clothes forever. You know, just I look bad. I looked as if I had I had was on drugs and I've never done drugs. I never did them. I was sleeping. I, I used to break into people's cars to sleep in their back seat um, when they when people would sleep, right? You know, especially on cold nights or something like that. I would jump back in their back sleep and, and go to sleep and uh I would pay attention. So if I saw lights and stuff come on, I would get out the car and kind of close the door and go on about my way. You know, no one ever knew. I did that for for a little bit as well. But for the most part, I was sleeping behind dumpsters, abandoned buildings, um, you name it. I was probably there. And then uh, two years of that seemed like forever. I was, I was not the person that I was. And I remember the day that it changed. I was, uh, I was sleeping under, sleeping under a bridge and, uh, it was, something out of a movie man that we had the metal trash can that was on fire it's me and this other homeless guy and i'm out there in this tank in this uh short sleeve shirt it's blizzarding outside and i'm just like whoa man you know how did my life become like this mm -hmm. and uh in the middle of that blizzard you know me and this guy we were drinking wild turkey you know and uh he gave me his jacket and he was like dude you need to put this on man and in the middle of the night, in the middle of this doggone storm, something said, get up. <laughs> huh? I, I thought it was the dude. <laughs> I thought it was the dude, but I look over, he's sound asleep. And something said, I said, what? Get up. So what do you mean? Get up. So I got up and I took the guy's jacket and I laid it on top of him. And it just said, walk this way. I turned around. I walked clear across town in the middle of this blizzard with no jacket on this t-shirt and I walked for probably hours would seem like hours and uh it, it was bad it was it was really bad you know um and I get to a certain point and something just said stop stop right here and I'm walking on this main street and it's blowing snow outside but I'm not feeling nothing I really am not, you know, like I'm dirty and filthy, all of this, you name it, I was there, you know, it was, it was pretty doggone bad. And where I stopped at, there was a 7-Eleven, I mean, not a 7-Eleven, but a Safeway. And I was like, hmm, I'm gonna go over here and sit down. And as I was, as I sat down, the sun was starting to come up and, you know, now I'm starting to shiver a little bit, you know, cause now I'm not walking or whatever was guiding me that way, I didn't know. I'm going to look over and I see these people going into the building. So I'm like, what is this? What is this? Right. And so curiosity, I go over there and it's a day labor place. Luckily, I still have my ID. Right. And I'm just like, 
might might as well, right? I ain't got nothing else to lose. My pride, my ego has been destroyed. And I go over there, and sure enough, I go out that first day and go on a um, snow shoveling job, and I make around $48, right? More that's I haven't had that much money in, in some years. And uh right across the street from where this place was, there was a whole line of hotels or motels and stuff like that. And so I was like, man, you know, I don't have enough to get a motel for tonight. I don't. And so I went and got something to eat and I figured out the rest of the day. And uh, the next day I went out again, made another $48. They don't have enough to get a motel, right? You know what I do, but you know, I'm going to have to be out the next following day anyway. So I was like, it's not like I'm not, it's not like I'm on the streets, not on the streets anyway. So I might as well tough it out a little bit. And uh, so week goes by, I finally save up some money and get into this hotel. And uh, it was the best feeling in the world to be able to lay on a bed and um, and I'm, now I'm in unfamiliar territory, though, you know, because I don't know where I'm at or I don't know anyone around here. But I was able to get into a hotel and um, I had a little money left over and decided to, you know, I need to get some clothes. Right. You know, and um, I tell you, it really puts things into perspective when you go to peel off your socks and, and the bottom of your foot comes with it right the skin and everything it was it was bad the clothes that you have on could stand up by themselves so you know pants underwear socks t-shirts soap all of this stuff you know and i went out there and and i got it man and um took a bath and i actually took three baths you know because the first time i was like oh this is not good (laughs) this is not good the tub turned brown so i you know i took a bath and finally started feeling good fell asleep and got up the next day and i could tell you man um god is good god is real good because after that i landed uh, a temporary job helping build the um post office down in golden and it was paying you 116 dollars a day and so i was like whoa i got money i got a little bit of money now you know and so i did that for probably about a few months uh, it was doing really well. Was doing really well, and then I met this um, this Indian dude, and because um, right next to me was a bar, and I decided I wanted to go play some pool, maybe have a beer or something, right? And that's why I met this other dude. Uh, met that's why I met met the Indian dude, and life spiraled out of control on me. I became an alcoholic. Mm. Yeah, I became an alcoholic. So talk about a beast. I didn't know. And then you realize how quickly things can turn upside down for you, right? Especially when you don't know that you're an alcoholic, but you just enjoy drinking, right? You know, and uh, that's what pretty much happened. You know, I went went on that uphill and got up there and was doing good and became an alcoholic, started hanging around other alcoholics, and then life started to teeter-totter a little bit more. Then they got out of control, and the bottom fell out, right? I ended up losing everything again. <laughs> I ended up losing everything again. And um, the climb back out of that, it was 
you know, that time when I was coming out of it, you know, there was a guy that I knew a long time ago and uh, he wasn't your typical guy, right? He was, he was a pimp. So I'm talking about bona fide pimp, you know, women all the whole nine, right? That's what he did. And I've never been that type. I was never that guy, but he was the guy that helped me get up on my feet. He was the dude to help me get up on my feet. And uh, we we traveled. We went everywhere, man. Taught me so much. And um, so life started to get good again. And then it was time for me to branch off on my own. And I got involved in it. And I became really good at it. So good, in fact, that I ended up buying a house up in the mountain, mountains and uh, had about four cars at that time. And um, about the second year into it, I was in Arizona and I got arrested out there for trafficking, trafficking marijuana. And I got sentenced to a year out there. So after that year, came back to Colorado. And uh, I walked away from everything. I, I gave up the cars. I gave up the house. Everything. I want. I didn't keep nothing. Um, you can say I had a little visit from my grandmother, and uh, she reminded me that I wasn't raised that way. Mm-hmm. So I gave it up and um, became homeless again. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk about. Talk about having your ego knocked out, right? You know, I became homeless again. And um, then from there, it was like, what do you do? Well, I started over and my journey just kind of moved me around. Um, So I moved out of the mountains, ended up in Golden, ended up in Lakewood, ended up in, uh, yeah, all over the place. And then you know, stand with different people, people, random people that I never even, you know, didn't even know. And then uh, lo and behold, you know, um, I go to jail again for six months and I get out and I meet this other guy that became a real good friend of mine. Now, mind you, I still doesn't, I still never been in a stable home, right? <laughs> I just never been in a stable home. So, but this dude, he, uh, he helped me, um, He's like, look, I got to run back here in the garage, you know, $300 a month. I was like, I can afford that, right? Uh, end up getting a more stable job. Uh, things were going good. And probably about two or three months, I meet another guy. He was like, hey, you know, I got this house. You know, $500 a month it has a yard. It's one bedroom. It's pretty nice. So that's the first time in a very long time. I was in my 30s at that time, uh, early 30s. And uh, and I'm getting into that house, and that's where I met my son's mom, right? And um, then from there, things was good. Um, things were good for a little bit. Um, she got pregnant, and that's where my journey started over again because we moved to Loveland, Colorado. And Jake was born in December, December 18th. And um, I was in a good place. You know, I thought that maybe I got my family or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. I was wrong again. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was so wrong. I was so wrong. Um, she turned out to be my best teacher because she was a narcissist. She destroyed my life. She tore me apart. Everything that I thought that I was, I was nothing compared to what she what she was. And uh, so she was very devious. I ended up leaving her and became homeless again. Then I got into an apartment right down the street from her that she helped me get into, by the way, right? Even after all of that. And uh, so Jake was Jake was a baby. He was he was young. And so I used to, you know, we had an agreement, you know, I come over and get him and spend time with him and things like that. And uh, when she realized I wasn't coming back to her, she got me evicted out of that place. So here I am again, you know, homeless place, homeless again, get into mm -hmm. another place. She found out where I am. She gets me fired from her job. She got me fired from four jobs, get me evicted out of that place. So now, you know, it was just this, this constant thing. And then I'm going to court for my son, right? And the courts, the, the courts drug me around like I was some freaking rag doll. But I got taught patience, right? I got taught to have faith. Even in the even in the worst times of my life, I got taught that, right? Like trust that this is going to be okay. And I became very faithful. And uh lo and behold, um two years of that. And uh, I meet this another woman. And uh, so I ended up moving in with her. And six months later, she moved out. So now I have a place. Two weeks later, I get custody of my son. Wow. <laughs> right? oh. Yeah. Two weeks later, I get custody of my son. And, uh, and I, it was just me and him for a very, very long time. But I had to learn how to be a man. I had to learn how to... Um, to be a father, right? Because when my son was born, my father and my younger brother passed away. And then um, now I got into this place and uh, it's just me and my son. It was the, you know, I would have to say it was the best time of my life. Learning how to be a parent and being a part of that little kid's life. And uh, when he was seven, he was overdosed because his pharmacist mixed his medication really, really wrong, mm -hmm. right? Just didn't understand how wrong it was, you know? So Halloween of 2015, um, instead of trick-or-treating, we was at the hospital watching my son fight for his life because of how bad the medication was mixed. So oh. for three days and uh, Sunday, I remember them coming to us and saying, he may not make it. You know, this is pretty bad. I was like, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? He's not going to make it. The boy ain't nothing but seven. Uh -huh. Well, Monday morning, he woke up. and talked about a sigh of relief, right? You know, yeah. and then sure enough, birthday come around, Christmas coming around, New Year's come around. It's just me and him now. You know, his mother, she was doing whatever she was doing. She was still there, just not, just not there very um, prominent. Yeah. Um. And then took him off the medication 
and he did really well. And uh, nine months later, he got sick. This was in June, June, um, June 16th. And uh, I'm thinking maybe it's a stomach bug. You never think what's about to happen. It's going to happen, right? Yeah. So he progressively got worse. And so for days, and his mother took him to the I took him to our family doctor and um, my son started peeing blood, which that's a sign of kidney failure. It was so much worse than that. So much worse than that. Uh, I get a call because he goes there. They said, we're going to put him in the emergency room. We don't know what's going on with him. I, I'm at work and I call, tell him I need to go. My son's in the hospital. And I get down there. Uh, then eventually we get airlifted down to another another hospital the children's hospital and, and the doctors that whatever was going on it just confused the doctors and they were like we're going to give him an antibiotic right you know it's going to kill everything inside of his blood then we're going to do a true blood transfusion when he wake up tomorrow he's not gonna he's going to be right as rice right yeah. and uh that never happened somewhere during that during that procedure all hell broke loose. His blood coagulated so fast that it crushed every organ in his body. Mm. So I got to see my son take his last breath at the age of eight years old. And I guess that's where my grief journey, you know, really started to unfold and unpack because then two years later, my mother passes away, right? So now both of my parents are gone. My child is gone. It's just me again. And it just, you know, um, kind of put things in a perspective of how cruel life can be. Right? Uh -huh. And uh, you just never know. You just never, you just never really know. And um, so it was like, I was so done. I was so done. I was like, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. So I planned out my suicide, you know, from what handful of friends I did have uh, left over after all this crap was all said and done. And I just knew I didn't want to do it anymore. And um, so I did. I planned out my suicide. Almost was very successful. And it just never happened. You know, something intervened with it. And we can call it divine intervention, but <laughs> it, it stopped me. It stopped me. And um, that's when I was like, I need help. Mm -hmm. So I went seeking help, you know, looking for other men like myself. And uh, just like, as you mentioned, you know, there was, there's not a whole lot out here for men. It really isn't. Yeah. So I came up with the bright idea. I'm going to start a nonprofit for men like myself, right? You know, um, so maybe I can learn. Uh, and I, and so I did. And um, that just turned into a whole new journey. I started meeting all these other people and I started meeting all these other men and just like, just like me, right? And it blossomed. 
And then I became, and then I started podcasting probably about a year and a half after that, after several failures, trust me, a whole lot of failures, right? And um, from there, it's, you know, um, through those failures, I learned a lot. I, it was like everything that I needed was already inside of me. And instead of finding mentors, I became a lot of these guys' mentors. And I realized that I can take what I've what I've gone through and learned, and I can help these individuals, right? And so I did. And I became, and it made me feel good. So it's a different sort of feeling. And uh, it was like, why not? And I began to build it and I began to grow, you know, as, as an individual, um, but as a man. And grief became my passenger. Mm-hmm. It became this passenger with me, this teacher, this mentor. And I leaned into it and, um, and I never let it go. I just never let it go, which led me on a journey of um, healing. Um, understanding what mental health was, holding space, understanding, you know, I had to heal from a lot of trauma, you know, grief actually revealed all of that stuff to me. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to go back and I had to, you know, be the person that I needed when I was a kid um, and grow up with it, grow up with that kid, right? Into adulthood. Yeah. And uh, that led me into... You know, as as we already, as you know, you know, starting to starting a global grief conference, right? And then, you know, from there, um, the Global Grief Network was born, and uh, meeting everyone like yourself, you know, and surrounding myself with people like minded individuals, and being inspired to just keep going. You know, now I'm not perfect; I still make my fair share of mistakes, but. I often tell people now, you know, the journey was worth it. Everything that came along with it, the trauma, everything that came along with it, it was worth it. And what I mean by that, it gave me the opportunity to serve, you know, to to help other men like myself, for the most part, a lot of other people uh, that were struggling to be able to share something with them that was valuable and could help them in their healing journey Mm -hmm. and um that led me to the person that you see today all those scars many tears and all those different things losing everyone and gave me something back all because i trusted the process it's amazing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so it's so amazing to see and hear everything that you've gone through and to be able to see where you are today. Yeah. And to to hear you say that in a way you're grateful. Yeah. For all of the experiences that you've had. Yeah. Because now you can take those experiences and pass on the lessons that you've learned to help mm-hmm. others. Had I not experienced it, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. 
right? You know, it makes me more efficient when I can talk to a young game banger and give him um, words of wisdom to keep him from making the same mistakes that I did. Or, you know, to look at the person who's homeless out there and go, man, it does get better, right? To look at the, the man out there who's giving up on life and saying, I understand if you want to give up, but if you don't want to give up, I'll walk with you. Yeah. Right? So all of those different things from that experience gives me the tools um, to be able to help others. And it's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling when you can help someone else, when you can become the person that you that you needed for someone else. Mm-hmm. It's a really good feeling in that, right? Yeah. Because you, you tend to have a sense of gratitude because you tend to appreciate, I, yeah, I lost, I lost my son, but I had eight good years with him. Uh, Some yeah. people don't get that, right? Yeah. I lost my parents, but I've known them my whole entire life. And I had the honor of knowing them and being their son. I may have lost my younger brother, but I was I got the chance to be his older brother too, right? Some people don't get that. Some people don't. So yes, there's a sense of gratitude that comes with that. Sense of appreciation and you know, um, respect mm-hmm. and empathy because there's a lot of people that don't get that. Yeah. A lot of people that don't get that. So if I can do something to help them out, then why wouldn't we? Right? It's all part of this journey. It's all part of this journey. It's all part of the process. And to me, it was worth it. It was worth everything I had to go through to do the things that I'm doing today. And it just opens up the doors for more to come, mm-hmm. you know? And that's beautiful. That's a beautiful feeling. Yeah. Have you had that feeling with anything else that you've done in your life? No. No. I think most of it was uh, the want to feel that, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but there's something different about this. This is earned. No one gave it to me, right? I had to earn this. And I had to look past everything else and see the things that I couldn't see before. Mm-hmm. A person, it gave me a vision, it gave me a direction to go in, and um, it gave me something to hold on to, right? My faith has gotten me through a lot of things. And uh, to be able to hold on to that, to know that throughout everything that I've ever experienced, the one thing that's always been consistent, God has never left my side. Even when I was beaten down and he just never left me. So I learned how to trust wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. right? I learned how to 
um, forgive not only others, but, you know, most importantly, myself. I learned to have gratitude, you know, because when you lose so many things, you know, throughout your life, when you get the, when you do get some things and stuff like that, you have a sense of gratitude and appreciation for it, right? You don't take it for granted. Um, the people that are in my life are very supportive and, um, you know, they're family to me. And it's something more than what I've had. And to me, yeah, it's, it's a good feeling. And I don't think I've ever had this before, but I like it. Mm-hmm. You know, I like it. And wherever the process decides to take me, I'm going to see this thing through. And I know that for a fact. I'm going to see it through. And just have no expectations because I also realized that everything that I've ever gone through had nothing to do with me. Nothing that had nothing to do with me at all. I had to experience it, but it was all the other people that came around that benefited from it. So my life had nothing to do with me. And so there's a sense of, um, selflessness that comes along with that when you can take that and look and go i now know why i had to experience those things because that person over there needs something inside of me and i can give this to them without any expectations and when you can do that to do that for someone um it changes your perspective on life Mm-hmm. Right, and it gives your life a sense of value, not only to others but to yourself. Right, you begin to see your self worth. You begin to love yourself a lot more, and you look for opportunities to give. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I do now. Who can I give this to? Somebody out there needs what I what I'm carrying. Let me give it to them. Yeah, that's amazing. It is. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tony. This has been a story time of all story times. I appreciate that. Um, we're just about out of time. Where can our listeners find you to learn more about you and your story and connect with you? Um, they can find me on Instagram, Men's Grief Support. They can find me on Facebook, um, Memories of Us, LTD Grief Support for Men. They can also check out the Global Grief Network for those who are struggling and need resources or if you're a grief worker and looking for a place to feel like family, you know, they can find the Global Grief Network over there. They can check out both websites on the memoriesofus.org and the globalgriefnetwork.com. They can uh, email me, tolynch46 at gmail.com. They can find me on LinkedIn. Um which is just Tony Lynch, or they can check out the groups that, that I have up there as well, the Global Grief Network group that I just started over there. But they can also find me on YouTube if they want to check out the um, um, podcast. You know, we do 
live panel discussions. We do one-on-one interviews and things like that. So the Grief Let's Talk about a podcast, they can find me up there. And um be a part of be a part of this um uh, this this networking that we build, right? You know, and um take what you need from us because that's what we're here for. Awesome. So just for clarification, the memories of us is your support group for men. Yes. And then the Global Grief Network is for anyone looking for grief support and also for grief workers to to network with each other? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, yeah, we got a lot of different things going on, you know. Um, so I just encourage people to come take advantage of it, you know, and um, benefit from, from the things that we've gone through. And let us let us help you walk through those difficult times as well, you know. And if you're a grief worker, this is a place for us to be and be supported. And you know, like I tell people, this is where friends become family. <laughs> yeah. You know, enjoy enjoy with what we've created for you. Awesome, amazing, Tony. Thank Man. you so much for being being so open with us about your experiences throughout your life and also for the work and support you do and the the generosity that you yes. have in giving back yeah all that you've learned from your experiences that's the deal right you know um you got to give more than what you receive in this world and uh there's a sense of uh appreciation that comes with that mm -hmm. it's a different feeling when you can give more than what you receive because then you realize that you don't need much in this world to be happy you just got to appreciate the things that you have to be happy mm -hmm. right and if you can find it in your heart to serve someone else to teach someone else from the mistakes that you've made I encourage people to do it. It's the best feeling in the world. You know, this life will take care of you. It will take care of you. Just got to be patient. Got to be patient. You got to be willing to, um, to walk, to breathe every day. To love yourself enough to go, I am worth it. Yeah. Awesome. So remember, you are worth it. Yes. Thank and if you. you if you are questioning that, reach out to someone. Yeah. Exactly. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tony. You're welcome. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to or watching this episode of Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. As you know, this is a podcast where we share real-life experiences of converting grief into growth. I wanted to take some time to share my gratitude to everyone who has supported me along the way. Thank you to my guests who have shown up and allowed me to delve into their personal experiences of grief, growth, and transformation. I appreciate your courage, authenticity, and openness in sharing your stories. 
I have learned so much from each of you. Thank you to my editors and producers, the Pod2Go team and Chad Nedland, who have helped take a tremendous load off my shoulders and kept me going as a podcaster. Their support has allowed me to do what I do best, connecting with others and taking a deep exploratory dive into grief experiences, showcasing not only how unique an individual grief is, but also how we can convert our grief into growth and goodness. And thank you to my listeners and audience. Our stories are meant to be shared, and without people like you to receive our stories, it can be tougher to express them. Most of all, I want to thank my amazing husband and kids for always supporting me and encouraging me in the work that I do. They have been incredible about keeping noise levels to a minimum while I'm recording. Not always an easy feat. And they are amazing listeners when I give them the lows and highs of my experiences, from individual episodes to the process as a whole. Because of some major changes in my personal life, I have been dedicating my time, attention, and resources to my home and family. As a result, starting in September, I will be taking a sabbatical from releasing new content for the Share Your Story podcast. In the interim, check out or revisit previously published episodes. Our grief changes with time, as do the circumstances of our lives. What may not have seemed pertinent before could jump out at you in a whole new way. A major component in converting grief into growth is to always be open to the lessons it has to teach you. Remember that all of our experiences make us who we are. They are perfectly tailored to help us become the best versions of ourselves and to help us reach our fullest potential. You can turn your grief into growth. You are known and loved in more ways than you could ever imagine. Your voice matters. So share your story 